We are reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 40, um, through to chapter 2, verses 17. I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. Um, It's on page 1003. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I'm really excited as we get into this passage this evening, as we see Jesus in action, and as we see, as he encounters people, the changed lives that are as a result. Before we have a look at this passage, let me ask you a question. I wonder, have you ever had an encounter with someone that has made a really lasting impression on you, maybe even changed um, who you are or the way that you live. You may may not know about me. I'm a bit of a musicals fan. Uh, My favorite musical is 
Les Miserables. I always struggle to say the full name because I just shorten it to Les Mis. Les Miserables, um, Les Mis. If you don't know the musical or the story behind it, the story is based on an encounter that the main character, Jean Valjean, has with a priest. Jean Valjean is blown away by the mercy that the priest shows him when he is caught robbing something from the priest's house. The mercy that the priest shows him changes him, absolutely transforms the way that he lives. It changes the way that he looks at himself. It changes the way he looks at other people. It changes the way that he lives his life and what he looks to do with the rest of his days. In our passage today, we see three encounters with Jesus Christ. Three encounters that leaves lives radically transformed for the better. We see the life-changing power of Jesus. We see the life-changing love of Jesus. And so as we look through these three encounters, we see through them the purpose of King Jesus. So let's have a look at them in turn. Here's the first one where we see the heart that Jesus shows. The heart that Jesus shows. I wonder if you saw in the passage, we, we meet a man in desperate need of help. He is quite literally begging on his knees for Jesus to do something about his situation. Because this man has leprosy. It's a horrific disease that literally eats away at the skin. But it's not just physical torment. There's a social aspect as well. And so, because he is regarded as unclean, because of the contagious aspect of it, he is cast out of society. He has to live away from um, healthy people. Here's how someone described the condition. In Jesus' times, few people were seen as more repulsive than those suffering from leprosy. Leprosy was a skin condition. It was obvious to the sight. This disease was a social death sentence because the sufferer had to cry out, unclean, and live alone outside the community. And yet, this man had obviously heard about Jesus. He's heard something about Jesus that he wants to meet Jesus. And do you see what he says in verse 40? If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice in what, Je- in what the man says, he doesn't doubt Jesus' power to heal him. He says, you can make me clean. The man doesn't doubt Jesus' power to heal him, but he questions Jesus' willingness. He says, if you are willing. He may be thinking something like, look, I, I know that this man can do something about my condition, but it's unlikely that this man will want to do something about my condition. I mean... <laughs> It's me. He'll just avoid me like everyone else avoids me. But Jesus isn't everyone else. What does he do, verse 41? He's filled with compassion. This word compassion is is quite literally gut-wrenching pity. It's to be so affected by something that you feel it in the pit of your stomach. You're almost sick to the stomach because of what you've seen. I wonder if you've ever had that feeling. It's something that's moved you so much that you feel it right down in the pit of your stomach. 
Maybe it's images that you've seen on TV over the last few weeks and months of things going on across the world. Maybe it was today as you wake up and, and read about the news over in South Korea. When Jesus sees and hears this man, he is filled with a gut-wrenching pity, compassion. But Jesus doesn't just feel it, he acts on it. Jesus reaches out his hand. He, he moves towards the man, and he touches the man. Now, this is an absolute no-no from Jesus. You see, this man is regarded as unclean, and so you do not go anywhere near someone suffering from leprosy. That is why they have to shout out, unclean, unclean, if ever they see someone around them who is healthy, so they know that they can avoid them. Touch them. This may be the first physical touch that this man has felt in years. Could you imagine what that could feel like? I was thinking earlier this week as I was looking at this, that actually there may well be people in the room who could, who could think a little bit about what that could mean better than others. Let me read you a Facebook post I read of a friend of mine who lives on their own posted at the end of April 2020. She said, I've eaten more than 90 meals alone, and I haven't touched anyone in six weeks. Do you remember that time? We're trying to forget it as soon as possible, aren't we? Do you remember that time of isolation, of social distancing? And the reality for some people in this room is that it might not have only been six weeks. It might have been a lot longer. In fact, there may still be people in our church community who are being really careful. You see, Jesus could have just said the word from afar. He's that powerful. But he chooses to step towards the man and touch him. And he answers the man, I am willing. Be clean. I imagine hearing those words as the leper. Imagine the joy, imagine the hope that comes in those words. And so what happens, verse 42, immediately. There's that buzzword from Mark's gospel. We've already seen a number of times we're only in, we're still in chapter one. And Mark uses that word again. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. It left him. He was cured. Mark says it almost so matter-of-factly. Instead of Jesus, who is clean, becoming unclean because of the touch, the unclean of the leprosy is made clean. This shouldn't happen, but it does when Jesus is involved. It's total transformation. It's total physical transformation. He's healed. But not just physical, it's total social transformation as well. He's able to reintroduce himself back into social society. Here is the heart of Jesus. It is full of compassion. It makes him step out. It makes him cross boundaries that humans are so often unwilling to cross to enter into this man's world. 
It's a heart full of compassion that steps out and reaches out for you. It's a heart full of compassion, of gut-wrenching pity when he looks out at the brokenness of the world around us. But he's not distant from the pain. He feels it. He steps into our world. And he promises that one day he will stop the pain completely. And so as Jesus loves the unlovable, as Jesus touches the untouchable, I couldn't help but be challenged this week to think about what that means for me what that means for us individually, but also as a church community. What would it look like for us to love those who our society ignores? An encounter with Jesus changes everything, because the heart that Jesus shows is full of compassion. And second then, in the second encounter Jesus has, we see the priority that Jesus has. And this second encounter is is quite a well-known story. Maybe it's familiar to you. But I wonder if it can be a bit of a misunderstood story, or at least we we can miss the main message of this passage. Similar to scenes that we saw last week, people have heard that Jesus has come. They pack the house. There's, There's no room inside or outside the house. And Jesus is teaching. And some men arrive, carrying their mate who's paralyzed, not able to walk. They've obviously heard about Jesus, heard about his power to heal, and so they want to get their mate to Jesus. And yet there's no room to get near him. So one of them comes up with a genius idea. Let's get up onto the roof, let's open up a hole, and let's lower lower our mate down in front of Jesus. Roofs in the first century uh, would have had steps on the outside leading up onto a flat roof which would have been made of of timber and branches um, and sticks and dirt. And so they head up. They pull away at the roof and make a hole big enough for their mate and lower him down in front of Jesus. (laughs) It's outrageous visitor etiquette when you go around someone's house. But Jesus, uh, Mark doesn't record the reaction of the crowds. He doesn't record the reaction of the homeowner. He records the reaction of Jesus. And here is maybe the missed meaning of the passage. Do you see the shock in verse 5? As we read it, and maybe try and think to the first time you ever heard it, as we read it and we get to the point that Jesus looks down at the paralyzed man. We can imagine Jesus saying, son, your legs are healed. But Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. I wonder how you react to that. Maybe you think, amazing. What a wonderful thing for Jesus to do for this man. Or maybe you're more like me, and maybe if you're being honest, you go, Jesus, are you mad? You're missing the point here. This man is paralyzed. He needs healing. But actually, I wonder if Jesus wants to say, no, 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 you're missing the point here. You see, when faced with this man's great physical need and great spiritual need, Jesus identifies 
the man's forgiveness of his sins as his greatest need. There is, there is something far greater than healing of the healing of the paralyzed man. We need to know the seriousness of our sin. We need to know the seriousness of ignoring the God who has made us and made the world, of living a life without any kind of reference to him. And so know that forgiveness of sins is this man and our greatest need. It's our greatest need because it fixes our greatest problem of a broken relationship with God. And yet, the man's friends, imagine them on the roof peering down and hearing what's just happened. I'm sure they probably felt that the man's greatest need was the healing of his legs. And the world around us can shout at us that there are so many things that are of such greater need than the forgiveness of our sins. Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Maybe it's getting up the next rung of the career ladder or even just getting on that ladder in the first place. I can remember about 10 years ago uh, going to Uganda on a Christian mission. Um, it was my first time out of, out of Europe. It was the first time to um, a continent, a country, a culture that was so different to anything that I'd experienced. And I can remember as I was wandering around looking at people and just thinking, there is such a desperate need here physically. And yet what struck me most as I got to know Christians in Uganda was their, was their joy in their Christian faith, was their contentment in their circumstances. Because there was a people who got it, who knew that their forgiveness of sins was their greatest need. And so when they had it, oh, that's what they wanted. You see, the danger can be that we look at outside at the outward problems that we face. And as important as those can be, the really serious issue is the issue with our hearts. Whilst the crowds may be confused by Jesus' reaction, we see that there are some who are actually angered by it. Have a look down at verses 6 and 7. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? <laughs> they're right. Or, or they're, they're half right. Our sin is against God. And so only God has the right to forgive our sins. It's a bit like... Um, I've got three brothers, one of four boys. Um, growing up, um, we were great. We got on really well, really polite to one another. Never fought. But just imagine if um, my younger brother came up to me and hit me. And then my older brother came over and said, Hey, Johnny, don't worry about it. I forgive you. I'd be raging. I'd be like, no, no, no. You haven't got the right to forgive him. He hit me. It's me who he's wronged. I'm the only one who has the right to forgive him. Only the one sinned against can forgive us, right? And so it is here. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
our sin is against God. So only God can forgive our sins. And so do you see the claim that Jesus is making to the crowds around him, to the teachers of the law? By claiming to forgive sins, he's claiming to be God. Blasphemy in the eyes of the teachers of the law. And Jesus knows what's going on. He knows the thoughts of our hearts. He knows the thoughts of the hearts of the teachers of the law. Verse 8. And so he challenges them, verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Which is easier to say? Well, surely it's the one with the invisible internal results, right? To say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Well, everyone will see if you're actually able to do it. It's, it, it's a physical, visible result. But to say your sins are forgiven, well, how do you prove that? So Jesus says, to prove the invisible, I'll do the visible. To prove the invisible, I'll do the visible, verses 10 and 11. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. To show you my authority, Jesus says, to show you my authority that I have to forgive sins. And this title he uses, the Son of Man, it comes from the Old Testament in Daniel 7. A prophecy that Daniel, Daniel has about one who will come with all authority over all people for all time. And so by using this title here and throughout his ministry, Jesus is saying, I'm that man. I am God. I have the authority to forgive sins. And what happens, verse 12? He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus heals the man physically to demonstrate his authority that he can forgive sins. You see, the miracle, it isn't the point, it's the pointer. It points us to the authority that Jesus has to forgive sins. Jesus comes to show us our greatest need, and he shows us that he is the only one that can deal with that greatest need. And the people are amazed. <laughs> They've never seen anything like this. No one has, both up to this point and ever since. Another encounter with Jesus, another life radically changed. Paralysis healed, sure, but greater than that, this man has his sins forgiven. A place in heaven assured. So do you see your sin as your greatest problem? Do you see forgiveness of your sins as your greatest need? An encounter with Jesus can deal with our greatest need. And it's not just sins forgiven. Did you notice how Jesus addresses the man in verse 5? He says, son. 
You see, Jesus doesn't just provide forgiveness of sins. He does provide that, but, but he doesn't just provide that. But he also provides adoption into a new family. And so just as later on in Mark 5, he looks at the woman and calls her daughter, so he says, listen to me, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Welcome to my family. The heart that Jesus shows is full of compassion. The priority Jesus has is for forgiveness of sins. And then this final encounter with Jesus, we see the people that Jesus comes for. The people that Jesus comes for. Once again, the crowds have gathered. Once again, Jesus is teaching. And in the midst of this, he calls his next disciple, verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Notice the significance of who Jesus calls here. Levi is a tax collector. Tax collectors were regarded as notoriously corrupt. They were were seen as traitors, the enemy of their people. Jewish literature lumped tax collectors alongside murderers and thieves. They were disqualified as witnesses in courts. They were expelled from the synagogue. They were seen as a disgrace to their family. I mean, Jesus is building an interesting team here. Do you remember last week when he calls the first disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen? An an interesting choice, but not scandalous. Calling a tax collector? And Jesus doesn't just call him to follow him. Jesus wants to spend time with him, to share his life with him, to eat a meal with him, and not just him, but other tax collectors too. Verse 15. And to the Pharisees, this is a complete no-no, verse 16. The Pharisees see him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They ask his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But this is who Jesus has come for, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There is no doubt that Levi is a sinner. But that is exactly who Jesus has come for. And when he says he's not come for the righteous, he, he isn't saying that there, is already, there are already people who have made themselves righteous without the need for Jesus. No, he's pointing the finger at the Pharisees who think they have no need for Jesus, who are self-righteous. They've declared themselves righteous. And so see no need for Jesus. Jesus has come for all people, but the Pharisees can't see their need for Jesus, can't admit their need for Jesus. I wonder which camp do you fall into this evening? The healthy or the sick? The righteous or sinners? Luke records a story that Jesus tells that illustrates these two positions well. The, the story or the parable of the prodigal sons, the lost sons. If you've not heard it, it's about two sons. The younger son who runs away from home, turns his back on his family, 
loses all he has, and realizes that he needs to go home. And so returns to his father, but doesn't think he's good enough to come back to his father. Doesn't think he's good enough to be regarded as his son. So asks to be made his hired servant. And then you have the older son. He can't believe how his father acts in accepting his younger son back. And so he can only see all he has done to deserve his father's favor and honor. How do they end up? Well, the younger son is welcomed back in by his father. But the older son chooses to remain outside the house and not come back in. Don't be like the older son, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who think they're too good for Jesus. They don't see their sin. They think they can get in on their own merits. But also, don't be completely like the younger son. Because even though he comes back to his father, he doesn't think he's good enough for his father. He doesn't think he should come back as a son. He thinks he should come back as a hired servant. But what's his father's reaction? He opens his arms to accept him. Please don't think that you're too bad for God. That what you've done counts you out. That he just wouldn't be interested in you. Maybe that's you this evening. Why would God want anything to do with someone like me? Do you see in these encounters with Jesus that that is exactly who Jesus has come for? He moves towards the outcast and loves them and touches them. He calls sinners to follow him and meets with them and eats with them. Don't make the mistake of thinking you're not good enough for God. Jesus welcomes you. Admit that forgiveness of sins is your greatest need and put your trust in him. But also don't make the mistake of thinking you're too good for God. Jesus welcomes those who recognizes their sin and their need for him. As we finish, did you notice the sad end to the leper's story? In verses 43 to 45, Jesus calls him to show himself to the priest because this is the process that you have to go through if you've been cured of leprosy to to show that you've been cured. And then he tells them not to tell anyone because Jesus is revealing himself as he wants to reveal himself. Yet as a result, the leper cannot keep quiet. And what's the result? Verse 45. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Do you see the switch? Do you see the substitution that's happened? The leper is outside of society, can't mix. Jesus is in the towns and villages. But now the leper has his social status back. He's able to go back in and mix with people. And Jesus now finds himself outside, cast out in lonely places. Jesus came to deal with our greatest need. And to do this, a switch needed to happen. A substitution needed to happen. On the cross, as Jesus hung there, Jesus dealt with our greatest need. 
Jesus was cast out as his father turned his back on him so that we could be welcomed in. Welcomed in as sons and daughters. Jesus came for sinners like me and you to deal with our greatest need because he has a heart that is full of compassion. What a wonderful king and saviour we have. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for these encounters that we see with Jesus, encounters that radically transform these people's lives. Thank you that see them, through them we see Jesus' heart full of compassion. We see the priority that he has to show us our greatest need of sins forgiven. And we see that he welcomes sinners into his family. Please, Lord, would we see how great Jesus is? Would we see our need for him? And so would we come to him and ask for sins forgiven and enter into his family? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go for the sort of top-ranked one first, Woody, if that's yep. all right. Um, because it's something that we saw a little bit of last week, mm. and we see it again this time, and it just seems a bit strange. Why does Jesus give a strong warning to the man not to tell anyone what happened in verse 44 of chapter 1? Yeah, it's, as you say, it's, it seems strange when you read it. You go, why, why would Jesus not want? Surely that's what Jesus wants. He wants as many people as possible to know about him. So why would he kind of quieten the man? Um, I think there's a sense of um, progression through the Gospels, and as we look through Mark's Gospel, of Jesus revealing more of himself. And as I mentioned towards the end, Jesus wants to reveal himself as he wants to reveal himself. And so you see through Mark as Jesus reveals more of who he is, and more people either kind of gradually understand who he is, or are upset at who he's claiming to be. And so the... um, the opposition to him grows. And you see that through Mark. You get to a hinge point in Mark 8 where it seems like Peter, his close disciple, gets it but doesn't quite get it. And so Jesus is gradually revealing more of himself. And so as he does that, it seems like at the start of his ministry, we're still only in chapter 1, he doesn't want more of who he is to be revealed too soon as he reveals himself in his own ministry journey. Um, Because... As opposition grows, he's not able to do what he's come to do. So remember the end of last week, Jesus has come to preach, and so he needs to leave the places to go to other towns and villages to preach. What happens as a result of the man going and speaking about him? He's not able to come and preach. He's cast out into lonely places. And so I think there is a sense of quietening people so that he can reveal who he is as he reveals himself. So there isn't a kind of jumping ahead as he reveals himself over the course of Mark's gospel, the course of his ministry, as he's able to come and preach and show people who he is. Mm. And it seems to be that, you know, this stuff, it's remarkable to us, but to Jewish hearer, witness, it's just loaded with so much more. Mm. Um, And, you know, you sort of track along through Mark's gospel, and you get a pretty similar incident uh, in a Gentile, a non-Jewish area, and Jesus says the opposite. He says, go out and tell people. Mm. Um, And the moment in a Jewish audience where Jesus does say, oh yeah, I'm here, I'm the Messiah, chapter 14, verse 62, 63, that's when they condemn him to death. Like, they're angry enough, they 
tearing their clothes. But at that point, he's revealed who he is and what he's doing, and we have the rest of Mark's gospel, don't we? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Brill. Um, Woody, why do you think tax collectors and sinners are referred to separately in this passage? It comes up a couple of times, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it's not just tax collectors who are eating with him, but it's other people who are regarded as sinners. So as we said, tax collectors were regarded as sinners, but it wasn't just tax collectors who were gathered. He, he attracted and people followed him who were, as, the, as this version puts it, sinners, those who were looked at in society and regarded as sinful people who were rejecting God by either their lifestyle or their choices. And so almost a catch-all phrase for going, here are the tax collectors like Levi and other sinners in the community who, who Jesus outrageously welcomed to come and eat with him. Mm. Not just a works do for HMRC beyond that. <laughs> no, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> okay, sorry, that was, that was pretty nice. Anyway. Um, would it, please, could you answer this question? Um, because I think it's a great question. Um, it's asking about sins being forgiven being confused with paralyzation and uh, whether that can be caused by sinfulness. Could, could, do you have anything to say on that? Um, yeah, I, I think there's a distinction between the two. I don't see in this passage a cause and effect that this man's sin has caused his paralysis. Um, and Jesus elsewhere makes clear that it's not um, our sin that has caused an if infirmity or uh, an illness that we've got. Um, so I don't see a connection in the sense of one has led to the other, sin has led to paralysis. He, he is paralyzed, but he also has a great need of sins forgiven. And so Jesus deals with that as a priority. Mm. And, and, and the, so, yeah, it's true, isn't it? There's, there is a connectedness, but it's not a cause, causing connectedness because the fact the guy's paralyzed, like, mm. what's that but being a victim of a world that's tainted by sin? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, a, lepra, a, a leper, what's that? But a guy that's affected by a world that's tainted by sin. Um, but yeah, um, come and chat to us afterwards. And, and if that is you, and you, you feel as if um, you're, you're under the cosh and like um, God is punishing you for something because of something going on in your life, please don't go through that alone. Um, please come and chat to one of us, someone you trust. Um, we'd love to talk that through and pray that through with you more. Um, Woody, we've got uh, a bit more about um, the sort of spiritual and physical. So mm. I'll, I'll read the top of one. We've got a few on, on, on the same sort of lines. Um, how can we remind ourselves our spiritual needs are more important than physical, mental and emotional needs, especially when us and others around us um, might really be struggling in those areas? Yeah, that's really tough. But I'm really pleased at how they worded the question to say our spiritual needs are more important. That doesn't make the other needs not important. And I think that's really important to remember. (laughs) Lots of important things there. Um, And so you look down at another question that says our outward needs are are less important than our forgiveness needs. Does that mean we should ignore all our other needs, physical and mental? Uh, No, I think that's too far to ignore all our other needs. Forgiveness of sins, Jesus seems to show clearly here, is our greatest need. And so that is what we need to be most concerned of and most concerned for friends and family who don't know Christ. 
But that doesn't mean that our physical needs, mental needs, our other, if we're struggling with those things, we should ignore them completely and they're not important. And so, and please hear me on that. We're not saying ignore them, don't think about them. This is what's only important. We're saying other things are important. This is most important. But the other things are important. So if you are struggling with something physical, if you are struggling with something mental, please do seek help on that. Please do seek professional help from uh, medics who are qualified. Um, please do come and chat to us if you're not sure where to reach out, for, out to for help. That's really important, we think. And we want to see people get better physically, mentally. But we definitely want to see people get better spiritually. How do we keep reminding ourselves, which is what the question actually asks? <laughs> I think keep coming back to Jesus. And so keep getting in Mark's gospel, <laughs> read ahead, and keep looking at Jesus and see what he does. Keep having Christian friends around you. Get that encouragement of people who are able to point you to Jesus and pray for you. Pray for those physical and mental needs, but also pray for those spiritual needs so that you have those front and center and reminded of those. Because the world says that's not important. Everything else is most important. So just concentrate on those. We want to say those are important, but not most important. Jesus shows us our greatest need. So keep seeking after Jesus. Get Christian friends around you who can keep showing you Jesus. Woody, thank you.